You're listening to the Detox and Chill podcast with Megan Dillon and Beck Benyon. We're two millennial women in the corporate world juggling wellness and a fast-paced lifestyle. On this podcast, we're breaking down wellness into digestible episodes that fit into your weekly routine. We're on this journey with you, learning from wellness and lifestyle experts in their fields. From our lighthearted banter, what's the appropriate amount of time to go between shaving our legs? To getting deep about everyday struggles like hormones, societal norms, and gut health, we're your podcast besties. Disclaimer, no late night text needed to detox and chill. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, we are so excited for this week's guest. And I should have looked up your previous episode number. Of course, I didn't before we started talking. But <laughs> this week, we have Lauren back on the podcast. In our first episode, we talked a lot about women's health and our cycles and kind of understanding them more. Um And this week, she's back to share all of her wisdom on pregnancy and um, the birthing process. And I'm so excited to hear from her today. And I know um, a lot of you guys will be excited to listen to this episode. So thank you so much, Lauren, for being here. We're so excited. Yes. Thank you, Lauren. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to chat with you, too. Yeah. And I just looked it up. Her episode was episode 53. And she was also on our passion project panel for our event. Oh, how could I forget? Yeah. So Lauren is a big part of our podcasting journey, I feel like. (laughs) I can't believe so. I'm so excited about what you two are doing and supportive and yeah, stoked. I guess before we dive in, if anyone's just listening to this episode without going back to listen to our first episode, do you mind just giving a brief background on you, who you are, the birthing center, all of those good things? Yeah, totally. So my name is Lauren Zalinski. I'm a certified nurse midwife and advanced practice um, nurse practitioner. I have been working as a midwife for the past three years. And prior to that, I was working in the field of women's health for almost my whole career, which has been about the last 12 years. I was a labor and delivery nurse for about eight years before I studied nurse midwifery, which if you don't know what a midwife is, it's um, similar to being an OBGYN, but we specialize in normal, healthy, uncomplicated birth. Midwives birth babies in the hospital. We birth babies in birth centers, and we also do home birth. And so um, midwives work all over the United States and um, are also really um, profoundly integrated into the healthcare system in Europe and in other countries as well. Um, In my career, I'm currently employed in an out-of-hospital birth center here in the state of New Mexico in Albuquerque. And a birth center is a really special and fun place to work because it's kind of like an in-between in terms of like between a hospital and home birth. And so we have birthing tubs. We do a lot of water birth. It's a really like home-like, chill, relaxed environment. But we also have all of the science and the technology and the medications that you might have if you were at a hospital. Um, But with the support and kind of like tender, loving care and um, holistic mindset that you get with a midwife. And so it's a really cool place for people who 
are definitely interested in a more holistic perspective, but also value safety and evidence-based care, um, which is kind of also the perspective of seeing a midwife, I think, um, our certified nurse midwife, which is what I'm super passionate and excited about. So yeah, it's a little bit about me. That's so amazing. And I think kind of, so we were chatting a little bit before, but for our listeners, so I'm 30 weeks pregnant right now. And it's been such a learning process for me. I think um, when we first got pregnant, I was more like reaching out to friends or like people in the area just to see like who they went to and who, um, you know, might be a good fit. But just kind of as I learn more and more, it's so interesting as I think back kind of how I might have approached my care a little bit differently. Um so I'd love to start because obviously you kind of have both backgrounds. You were a labor and delivery nurse, and now you're kind of in more of a home birth setting. Um, could we maybe start? So, you know, if if a woman finds out she's pregnant, just like the options that are available for her as far as care is concerned and kind of how those are different. Yes, totally. I think that's such a good question because I think what we do so commonly in the U.S. is like exactly what you did, where you're like, you ask your friends, um, where did you go? Who are you seeing? What OB do you use? And then a lot of times that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, show up. And I think we oftentimes put more research into like which plumber we use or who we're going to send our dog to like doggy daycare than <laughs> that you're going to choose to like deliver your baby and like take care of your body and your health and your safety and like not to make you feel guilty at all but just because that's like the norm here yeah go to a doctor and then put complete trust in them um but I really challenge women to think long and hard about the provider that you're seeing because I don't know if everybody's super aware of this and not to scare people at all but just to like because I think knowledge is empowering um the United States has one of the higher mortality and morbidity rates for women and babies in developed countries. And so it's not something that I think we should take lightly, like picking a provider. I think you need to pick somebody who's informed. I think we need to know what our provider's rates are in terms of C-section, like how their statistics are in terms of how their moms and their babies do. And you need to do research because there are good providers and there are not great providers out there. And it's not easy to parse it out. Um, Some of it is asking friends for sure, but some of it too is like doing your own research and, and meeting with them, asking them questions, doing research on the hospital, uh, things like that. And so kind of the different ways that you can, or the different options that you have when you look into which type of provider you want to use is, um, I would say, kind of looking at like delivery setting. And so where do you want to birth? And I think one leading factor there that a lot of people um, that you can use to help guide you is like pain control, ultimately. So, um, you know, if you have a home birth or a birth center birth, you don't have access to an epidural, um, which an epidural will numb you from like about the breast down um, when you're in labor and you can't move and you don't have a lot of, you don't feel much at all. And so if that's really important to you to have like complete pain relief in labor, you're going to want to go to a hospital. Um, that being said, you can use a midwife in a hospital or you can use an OBGYN in a hospital. Um, if having a natural birth or an unmedicated birth, 
um, is something that interests you or intrigues you, then I think that it's an amazing option to look into birth centers and home birth in your area, if that's something that um, piques your interest. Um, birth centers, through research and statistics, uh, are proven as safe as hospitals, and they're endorsed by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. So it's not like, I feel like in general society and like in the United States, people are like birth centers, like what is that? But they're very well understood and well known in the medical community. And if there's an, a, an accredited birth center in your area and that's an option um, and that piques your interest, I really encourage you to look into it because it's a really nice, safe environment with usually a lot of education um, a lot of time and space for questions and appointments and um, just like a really nourishing environment, I think. Um, in the hospital environment, you definitely are going to get more of like typical OB care, which is great for a lot of people. It's what you're used to, like going in um, a little bit like shorter visits, a little bit less time with your providers, probably a little more efficient in terms of like you go in, you get like in and out. Um, you can probably take a class at the hospital, but it's not going to be like weeks and weeks of classes, maybe like one class over a couple hours in terms of preparation for birth. If you want more education than that, it's something you'd have to seek out on your own, um, not included in the price of care with the hospital. Um, let's see. And um, in terms of home birth, there's a few different types of midwives that do home birth. There's midwives who are CPMs or certified midwives, CMs, and then there's certified nurse midwives, CNMs. And um, the big difference between a nurse midwife and a CPM or CM is like um, the education that leads up to it. So CPMs are more community trained. Um, they spend a lot more time in the community um, studying, like practicing underneath one, one another and doing like an apprenticeship. And they do have like a level of formal training as well, but they don't have a bachelor of science in nursing or a master's of science in nursing as certified nurse midwives do. And they don't have the same access to medications and um, interventions as certified nurse midwives do. Um, so using a certified nurse midwife is like a more in-between to the hospital and home birth. And using a CPM is more like on the home birth, like kind of like on the crunchier side, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's um, a good distinction because I did not know that there was a difference between cool. different midwives. So that thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people just like search midwife and then have no idea that there's different types of credentials. And that's really confusing and so hard to navigate if you're not in the profession, which I think is kind of hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's a basic breakdown. Am I missing anything? there? The, the only thing I would like to know um, a little bit more background on and maybe for our listeners too is midwife compared to a doula. Oh, um, yeah. That's such a common question. People ask all the time when I tell them I'm a midwife, they're like, oh, so like a doula? <laughs> That's like, um, and even my fiance, when we met, he like was confused about the difference. Um, so a midwife, like I explained, is like what I do, a certified nurse midwife has like long, extensive education. And we do all of the prenatal care and the birth of the baby. We prescribe medications. We suture after your 
after you deliver the baby so we can repair any tears that you might have. Um, we can do ultrasounds in different states, um, things like that. So more like an OBGYN. A doula is a support person in labor. So it's somebody that you might hire to help you kind of like as an emotional, it's almost like a, like a, a therapist and a, like a, I would say a massage therapist mixed with a counselor mixed with your like grandma and your best friend <laughs> side during your birth. Um, so they're there for your support to like get you water, rub your back, suggest different positions and they're experts in birth, but they are not going to do anything medical for you. They're not going to check your cervix. They're not going to deliver your baby. They're not going to listen to the baby's heart tones. They're just there for your like emotional, mental and physical support. And they do a lot more like they'll help you get into a good position to help baby come down. And they have an extensive knowledge about birth, but not to deliver your baby at all. Mm-hmm. I think it's, That's so helpful. And kind of, as I was mentioning earlier, I wish to your point exactly, I would have taken a lot more time to go through all of the different options, but where we ended up was, um, we're going to do hospital birth, but with a doula who actually conveniently is a, um, a CPM. So I, I feel good just because natural birth is something I'm very curious and open to. Um, but just for the first experience, it's kind of my personality to get the lay of the land, see see what it's like, um, and just I'm a little bit more risk averse in that way, I guess. Um, you know, if I do want an epidural, I, I kind of want there to be an option. But um, yeah, there's a great way to go. Yeah, yeah. And I and I'm really relieved and we can kind of get into this, but just with COVID and things changing, there was a long period of time where, first of all, I was concerned that my husband, Dan, wouldn't even be able to go. But second of all, doulas weren't allowed. But I'm crossing my fingers that Boston is going to keep on the same track because they're allowing um, a second support person now. But it it's just wild, like how many different things you kind of have to navigate and decide and just how dramatically it can impact your care and your experience. So I'm so glad we're talking about this. Totally. And when you don't do research and just show up, how different your experience could be than if you do tons of research and like how if you don't know, then you just don't. <laughs> and um, it really is. There's so much, so much resting in your hands and in how much research you do. Um, that, and I think a lot of it has to do with, yeah, preparation. And to that effect, you know, privilege, you know, we're, we're lucky okay. so much, but some people don't and don't, yeah. you know, just haven't heard about things like a doula or, you know, um, so it's a little tricky. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And I mean, to your point, being able to have that privilege of like having options um, when we're having a baby is is nice as well. And plus, like, you know, it, you have to look at your insurance and see what that covers. There's just so many things I feel like you have to go through. Um, but I, as you were talking and talking about the epidural, I and this may be just like super ignorant, but I did not know that the epidural like numbed most of your body. Like for yeah. some reason that didn't 
crossed my mind. So can we talk about the epidural and like the effects that it has on your body? Yeah, for sure. So um, an epidural is an anesthetic procedure. So it's done by an anesthesiologist. Um, It's inserted in your back in between your vertebrae into your epidural space. So that's a space around your spinal cord. Um, It's inserted with a big, pretty long, intimidating looking needle. Um, But rest assured, anesthesiologists do these all the time. And so they're good at it but it is a blind procedure so they go into this space blindly they don't they can't see where they're going with the needle they go by feel um and when they reach the epidural space they infuse medications around your nerves and then they pull the needle out and just leave a thin flexible plastic catheter um this catheter then infuses numbing agents down around all of your nerves around your spinal cord and that numbing agent then numbs everything like from the breast line down. And so you shouldn't, with a good working epidural, feel contractions anymore. Like the cramping, sharp pain of contractions, you will still feel pressure. Um, in terms of safety, they're super safe. Um, people kind of think like epidural, my spine, like being paralyzed. Like that's where your head goes when you think about that. But really that risk is not non-existent, um, not like a big thing. Um, and the, probably the biggest risk that people have is like, sometimes they'll have some back pain afterwards from the site where it was, or sometimes you can get like a weird headache after you've had the epidural. If a little spinal fluid leaks out afterwards, it can cause like an imbalance in the pressure in your spinal cord area and, um, can give you a pretty bad headache for a couple of days, but they can fix that in the hospital. Are you still able to push when you have an epidural? Yeah, you can. You feel that pressure still. So you feel the baby down like in your bottom and in the birth canal where you need to push. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does take longer because it takes longer to kind of find the place where you need to push. So sometimes you're super numb. You're like, what am I doing? I can't feel it. So it can be beneficial to ask the provider to like turn the epidural down, um, turn down the flow of the numbing medication. That's something you can always ask for. Um, that sometimes like good nurses will be like, let's turn this down. You're too numb. Um, and, and that's helpful. But yeah, it definitely takes longer to push babies out from my experience with an ep- epidural versus natural birth. Gotcha. Yeah. Because during natural birth, you, you don't have a choice but to push. Like people right. are like, yeah. It's just something you do um, physiologically or like naturally. Yeah. And that was something that really resonated with me just as I learned more. Um, Just thinking about if I was numb, I could see that whole process being extremely difficult when, to your point, I feel like our bodies just know and kind of do that. Um, So it, yeah, it's just interesting to think through cost benefit of all that. Totally. I think that's one of the really big, like beautiful parts of natural birth that I love seeing and supporting is just, we don't understand so much about birth. We still in science don't understand what starts birth. We don't know if it's like hormonal cascade, if it's contractions, if it's like what part exactly triggers labor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't think we understand fully like what epidurals do or what like 
all of the different interventions that we use in the hospital, we don't understand how it affects the whole process. Mm-hmm. And as much as you can leave the whole process uninterrupted, the better that it works. That being said, things come up and it's really important and okay that we use science and technology in the hospital for reasons like induction and C-section when it's life-saving or important or there's risk. Mm-hmm. But if you're able to wait as long as possible to get an epidural, at least get into really active labor first. Um, and like let the natural process take place for a while before you intervene with something, in my opinion. Totally. And could we talk a little bit about the stages of labor um, and just kind of what our bodies do along the way to get us to that pushing stage? Yeah, totally. So... Um, three big stages. The first stage of labor or like latent phase of labor is all the way from, well, there's kind of like two parts of the first stage. There's latent and there's active. And, um, this takes you from early labor all the way to when you start pushing. And this is from the point where you're like, Oh, I feel like I might be like starting my period. Like you get some kind of like low menstrual cramp type feelings, you're like, you might be texting your friends like, Ooh, I think something's happening. Sometimes people don't even, they can't put a finger to what's going on. They've just been like nesting for the past couple days and they're feeling a little weird and they look back, you know, um, later and they're like, Oh yeah, I was going into labor, but I didn't, I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, the things just feel different. Um, um, and you usually start with irregular contractions. So cramp, it can just start with like a constant cramp that then moves into kind of like waves of irregular cramps. So the cramp comes, it reaches a peak and then it goes down and you're like, whew, there it goes. And then, it, then you reach like another one, maybe five or 10 minutes later, but it, it starts to form a pattern. Um, and then the, that pattern gets more and more developed into something closer together stronger and I call it kind of like these like it's like a like steps or like a ladder of intensity and a lot of times we focus on timing like every three to four minutes or contractions were every one to two minutes but I think the intensity is also really important to look at in the stages of labor so the intensity of the contractions continue from like not very intense you could text or you could talk through early labor contractions to then you're moving into active labor where the contractions are so intense that you are having to pause and breathe or moan or make noise just to get through them. Um, And you kind of go from like being able to communicate and like talk and be in the outside world to what I call labor land, where you like turn (laughs) internal, you go inside and you're like, hold on one moment. (sighs) (sighs) Okay. (sighs) And you, people oftentimes close their eyes, they bend over, they go into hands and knees they drop to the ground. Um, you just go into this very like primal intuitive place where you just, you go, you get into a position that like works for you. And really when women just do what their body tells them to do, it's really cool to watch in active stage of labor because you'll make these crazy moves that you're like, why am I putting my leg like this? But oftentimes that's what your body needs to do. like Get your baby out in the right way. And it's really amazing. Um, women's bodies and like your intuition just like know what to do um, babies out so there's early labor or latent labor and then moving into active labor which is what I just described Um, and that's stage one and then stage two is when you start pushing and um, 
early and early labor can be anywhere from 12 to 18, 20 hours. And that sounds crazy, but the whole time you're not like in extreme pain. Early labor can be pretty chill. Um, stage two, when you're pushing, can be typical for anywhere from like one, I mean, maybe like a couple pushes, depending on what baby it is, to like five to six hours of pushing can be normal for some people, um, mm -hmm. which is something that's new. We used to like not let women push that long, but sometimes it takes that long. Mm -hmm. And dependent on what setting you're in, they might not let you push for that long, but I've definitely seen women push for that long, and that's what it takes. As long as you're making progress and you have the energy and like the ability to push for that long, and the baby coming down, it, it's okay. Um, but yeah, pushing is intense. It's exhausting. Um, it's kind of like having a crazy bowel movement, like you're super <laughs> um, That's how you push if you want a little heads up there. Um, and then the third stage is from the time the baby comes out until the placenta comes out. And normal for that is anywhere from like one minute to 30 minutes. Um, so the placenta can actually stay inside for 30 minutes and that's totally normal, but it usually comes out on its own. I would say on average between like three and 15 minutes. Does it feel like a second birth when the placenta comes out? I would say in some ways people are like, like they don't enjoy it, but it's mm -hmm. way less intense because there's no bones and it's okay. big, mm -hmm. floppy and it's. You have your baby on your chest at that point, usually, and you're so distracted that it's kind of an afterthought. Right. Yeah. People don't love it, but it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So interesting. And like you said, like, just thinking about this and the way that our bodies naturally know how to do these things is just so amazing and so beautiful. And it really is such, like, just is mind-blowing the things that our bodies can do and Meg and I have talked about this a couple times in the past and just like thinking about like our bodies can actually create a human life <laughs> like, yeah. how crazy is that and being able to like see Meg go through this so closely and then a couple other friends of mine are also pregnant at the same time it's just so cool to see what their bodies go through and they all have you know different plans and um, different ideas and, you know, different um, levels of research and things like that. But just at the end of the day, like seeing them go through this beautiful process is so cool. Um, so I'd love to get into kind of like some of the myths of pregnancy. Like you said, like we really don't know what, what triggers labor, but you know, there's all those like old wives tales of like, if you eat this, then it will induce labor. If you have sex, it will induce labor. Like what are some of those things that you hear a lot that you want to like debunk? Totally. Um, I want to answer that question, but I also want to go back to what you were yeah. just saying about the process and like how beautiful it is. And just encourage you, Meg, and any other mom who's pregnant and listening, just um, to trust your body and trust the process when you go into labor, because just like your body knew, like knows what to do and continues to know how to grow this baby and nourish it. Um, something that I've learned as a midwife working in out-of-hospital birth and that has really been solidified in my three years of practice and is just growing and growing in front of my eyes is this um, ability that birth has as a reflex almost in women that you don't ask 
just, uh, I feel like there's this fear of like women are like, how am I going to do? And like, what am I going to do? And am I going to be able to handle it? And I just really want to reassure women that like, you don't actually have to do much. Yeah. Your body will do it for you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the most like amazing parts of birth is that like, if you can just breathe and relax and let your body do its thing and like let the baby move through you and find a way to cope with the intensity of labor you don't have to do anything because your body has got you and it's going to do for you do you know what I mean and so there's some like beautiful trust and amazing um just like intuitive beauty in that process and so just on that note like while we were on it I think it's just amazing um Yeah, and reassuring, I think. That you, it is. Like, be so responsible, you know? It is, and I think as women, a lot of times, I think there's kind of a lot of fear placed on us around birth and, like, what could go wrong and, like, you should plan for X, Y, and Z. But I think for me in a strange way, it's it's something that I'm almost excited to have the opportunity to experience, which is why I'm like very open to a natural birth. And, and obviously kind of with this year, just being wild, I'm, I'm also open to different things that might need to happen, but that's kind of my goal. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I'm trying to flip it more as like, this is like such a gift to be able to experience and not everyone gets to experience and, um, yeah, to your point, it's just like one of the most natural things. Um, and while I'm thinking about it, one thing that's really helped me is a different podcast called the birth hour. Um, and just listening, I have been listening to that podcast so much, but just like listening to all different birth stories and all different approaches, all different backgrounds. That's just like given me so much peace that no matter how the road of labor and birth goes, um, you know, we all end up in the same place. So if anyone else is pregnant and listening, I highly recommend that podcast. Yeah, it's so good. Birth stories are a great place to be. Just like knowing that like other women are also going through the same thing and it'll be okay on the other side. Yes. Um, Yeah. Okay, myths. Yes. Myths and pregnancy, like debunking. That's what what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I think that what a lot of people do, well, first of all, let's start from the beginning. It's okay to exercise. Um, and it's okay to like vigorously exercise in pregnancy. I feel like a lot of people are a little bit nervous about being too hard on their bodies in pregnancy. Um, so, you know, it's okay to exercise and be like, you know, do what you were doing before. People can run marathons in pregnancy. Um, and that's okay. Um, the other thing is like having sex in pregnancy. Sometimes people are scared to have sex or like guys are scared. They're going to like bump the baby. <laughs> Crazy things from my, my patient's partners. It is okay to have sex throughout pregnancy up until the day you go into labor. Um, it's totally safe and healthy and natural. Um, other myths that like, there are all of these things that you can do that will put you into labor. We are definitely a lot of things that you can try, but I'm a firm believer that like when it's time to have your baby, your body will be ready. And 
we do certain things at the birth center to stimulate labor, but they're pretty aggressive natural measures. And like, yes, red raspberry leaf tea is helpful. And like, yes, evening primrose oil is good. And like, um, you know, having sex is great. Spicy food, eh. Like, I think when your body is really ready, it will go. And if it's stressful to like do all of these different things in the hopes of like having your baby, don't do them because it, it, it's not actually going to put you into labor to the point where like you have control. I think we try to have like all of this control in life in general, especially right now in the world. And um, if it's stressful, just stop. But if it feels good and it's like, okay, I'm going to do these things and it's help, this makes me feel like it's like helping me have some type of control and then fine. You know, um, the one thing that is research to help is eating dates, oddly, um, like seven dates a day in your third trimester. There's research that it softens your cervix. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I love dates. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, you can get like big old packages of them from Costco. <laughs> That's what I tell the patients to do. I love that. Um, I know we're running a little bit close on time. One question that I kind of have that's on my mind, it's like a burning question, is um, induction. Mm -hmm. And that's that's one thing that honestly, like I really don't want to do. <laughs> um, so I'm just curious kind of how you approach that in your practice. Um, you know, when you would maybe feel it's a good time for a woman to get induced or like when you feel like it might still be an okay time to push back, um, you know, like if your provider is saying you should really be doing this. Yeah, that's a great question. I think induction is such a hot topic because if you look around, so many of your friends are probably getting induced. Um, basically, I feel like in the hospital, if anyone goes to 40 weeks or a little bit past 40 weeks, their provider offers them an induction. Um, yeah. And in the out-of-hospital setting, it's the opposite. So we just let your body go um, into labor naturally to the point up to 42 weeks. Okay. Um, and so that being said, there are certain risks that increase in the 41st week. And so we're going to do extra monitoring in the 41st week, an extra ultrasound, um, extra fetal monitoring. And I think that's important to be aware of. Really pay attention to your baby's movement in the 41st week. Make sure, you know, that things are good. Make sure that the fluid levels are good with that extra ultrasound, things like that. Um, but so many of our moms, especially first-time moms, go until the 41st week to the mm -hmm. point like the no wonder everyone's getting induced. Like it is so normal and natural to go to 41 weeks. So normal. And I, I firmly believe that we shouldn't be inducing people before like 41 weeks and five or six days um, or 42 weeks. And so I think it's a comfort level for sure. And it's hard because women are tired of being yeah. by the first week, by the time you're in 39 weeks, if someone's like, all right, let's get this baby out. Your answer is usually going to be yes, because you baby, you're tired of being pregnant. You're super uncomfortable. You can't sleep. You're peeing all the time. Um, the baby's like up in your ribs and kicking your bladder all at the same time. And like, it's hard, it's hard stuff. And so really trusting the process and knowing that like, when you let things happen totally naturally, it's going to work better. Um, and your rate for a C-section when you don't get induced. 
Um, and just really having patience at the end is so important. Um, but I'm a big believer that we really should let mamas go, go naturally through the 41st week um, with some extra monitoring mm-hmm. and understanding of like what that risk looks like. But knowing too that like we are resilient humans and we're built to survive and that the risk is, I think, um, reasonable and okay. So good to know. Um Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to record with us again. I know I, for one, am going to go back. I'm going to listen to this episode, probably take some more notes. Um, And I kind of feel like we could even do part three. There's just like so many fascinating things that come along with pregnancy and labor um, and that journey. So thank you. Yeah. Every time we talk to I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not know that? It's just, (laughs) It's so, I mean, it's great that we're able to talk to you because there's so little information that's widely spread, I think. Like, you really have to dig for it, and it's super frustrating. So thank you for using your talents to share this information with us and in your work and with everything that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Ladies, I could talk this stuff all. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. cocktail party not right now but (laughs) yeah I love it and before I forget where can people find you and maybe if you have like a couple quick resources that you like to reference I think that'd be helpful too yeah totally um so people can find me right now Mm, I'm probably the best place would just be my personal Instagram, which is ojo.de.lz. And you can find all of the articles that I write um, for the Camille Styles blog linked there. You can also find me on camillestyles.com. I do women's health articles and articles about pregnancy and holistic care, herbalism, things like that. Um, In terms of recommendations, I would recommend, if you're pregnant, um, a book that I love for pregnancy is anything by Ina Mae Gaskin, who's an amazing midwife. She's a CPM who I love. Um, She's like a mama midwife of many years, and she has great books that break down pregnancy knowledge and make it just really um, accessible and easy to understand. And then there's um, birth stories in the back of the books. And I really like people, like I like the tactile feel of a book and I like having access to the book and um, there's beautiful pictures in her books. And the stories are from the seventies about like these like super hippie mamas on like a commune all delivering their baby together. (laughs) And it's really good language and just like, positivity around the natural process of birth so the two books by her spiritual midwifery and Ina Mae Gaskin's guide to childbirth those are two of my favorite resources um also a wonderful website called evidencebasedbirth.com um just for really good evidence about birth like if your OB or midwife says something that you're like hmm I don't know if I agree with that I want to see like what the research is this website will give you all of the research um, and then I think also AmericanPregnancy.org is another website that I really like. So I would just start there. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lauren. And we're so excited to hopefully talk to you again sometime soon. Um, but Meg is 10 weeks away from yep. her 
due date. It's so exciting. No, so this is like all so top of mind. Like I feel like all I talk about with Dan, I'm like, okay, so like a natural birth would be X, Y, and Z. Like it's just kind of all we're talking about. So this has been the best to record with you. Feel free to reach out anytime. I really don't mind. And also just be really open to the possibilities of what happens and um, yeah, just go on the ride and see what happens because you never know. Yeah. Yep. Good luck to you. I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you. Um, nice to you, both. <laughs> you too. You too. And for anyone who wants to find us, you can find us on Instagram, Detox and Jill Podcast. Um, you can send us an email. You can reach out on our website. We're always here to talk, especially now. So um, don't be shy. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much. We love you all so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.